Hello and welcome to the Health Excel Podcast. I'm Chandana. And I'm Martin. On episode four with us today, we have Eugene Berhovic, who is the Global Head of Digital Health for Bayer. Hi, Eugene. Delighted to have you with us. Hello, hello. Well, Eugene and Health Excel go a long way, right? Like we've been talking for ages. So this podcast almost feels a bit uh, silly. Because we, <laughs> but We're learning how to say his second name. So that's a good start. Exactly. <laughs> After seven years. Yes, I know. Right, I yeah. actually didn't know that you don't say the K. Well, when you anglicize it, I guess. Borovich, yes. Yeah. Kind of silent. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. So maybe when so now that we've started with your name, it'll be great to hear about your your childhood, where you grew up, the origins of this cool name, and what led you to where you are today. Awesome. So how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> no. So I, I was born in uh, the old Soviet Union, uh, but specifically in Ukraine. Uh, Dasa, my parents immigrated in the late 80s. So I came as a child, grew up in U.S. Uh, East Coast, so New York, New Jersey. Studied then pretty much most of my career up until about seven years ago when I moved for a company called Medco Health, uh, PBM, now Express Scripts, and changing again to, I think, Cigna. Right. Um, I came over as a CIA for their international expansion at the time and uh, never looked back across the pond aside from right. the wonderful trips here. And, uh, <laughs> okay. And joined Bayer a little over two and a half years ago. Okay. So we've accelerated through about 25 I know, years there, right? I was like, yes, oh, that was really a 30 second pitch, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So let's bring it back a little bit. So came to the US. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I mean, if, if you guys are really curious, so I studied at uh, New Jersey University Rutgers uh, Management Information Systems. And then uh, after, after the graduation, uh, I had already kind of a bit of a startup flavor in college. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, actually my roommate, Mark, we started sort of under our, you know, the typical garage story. <laughs> um, we, we started an e-commerce business. This were the days when eBay was not still controlling where the actual transactions were happening. So mm -hmm. we would put a bunch of ads, we'd go to New York City, buy a bunch of, you know, hula hoop dolls and police <laughs> stuff and had, That's you know, cool. tons of margins. So we were, I think, generating probably, this was, uh, I want to say, junior year, it's been a long time ago, uh, about a million in revenue, tiny margins, but a million what? in revenue uh, while we were still in college. Uh, wow. <laughs> What's this, the mid-90s? The mid this was right before the dot-com bomb, mm -hmm. right? So we kind of, we called it MDS Mall, multi-dimensional <laughs> shopping. And then we had Shop <laughs> Hula, brilliant. Shop NYPD, Shop Why whatever. Why would you ever leave that gig? <laughs> yeah. Because it's selling widgets and it's not making an impact. Okay. Um, and so uh, after that, let me remind back, I actually went to work for Kaplan Educational Centers yeah. uh, answering help desk. I know they're, they're minting loads of money in India, like uh, training medical uh, students to come to the United States. Supposedly. Interesting. I, yeah. yeah, so they probably, <laughs> at the time, they were doing a lot of PSATs and all right. of that training. But um, uh, so I, I was there, I think, actually after freshman year. That, that was my first real gig. <laughs> and actually, that's what inspired me to start the business in with my partner in crime and roommate. Okay. Uh, because of a little Macintosh that they gave me to work from 
college room. Okay. And we were running a web server right on it. So that, wow. that was my geeky days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, fast forward, I graduated. I actually got an offer, I think it was from one of the big six. Uh, I want to say Deloitte and Touche at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, my boss from Kaplan uh, went to this, I'd say a couple of hundred person startup that was buying up different catalogs. And then they went, decided to go online right around that time too, proteam.com. Mm-hmm. That was an unbelievable experience, very much technical work, mm-hmm. uh, kind of shifting my hat and learned a lot what not to do as far as integrations. They were buying mm-hmm. 40 different companies in like two, three years, different catalogs. Um, then I ended up at Viacom as in an entertainment industry. And then uh, fast forward, uh, did some of my personal consulting. And then I ended up at a company called Metco, where they hired me for, quote-unquote, my technical skills and security, infrastructure, right. all of that. And then um, I never looked back because pretty much for the 10 years I've been there, I think the other four roles that I had was very much of finding a white space in the company. Mm-hmm. While I was there, I started what is now called Health 2.0 in New York City. It originally was a New York Healthcare Technology Meetup. This is after I did an executive MBA. and my uh, <laughs> what, what, what prompted that? Um, actually, pretty interestingly, so I had an executive coach that the MBA program assigned, and she had no idea from my technology perspective. But one thing she's kind of said, you know, a lot of people trying to meet other people and go to these meetups. There's this thing, meetup.com, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're kind of circling, you know, it's always great to be actually creating the ecosystem. Okay. And I actually went to Scott Heiferman's, I can't pronounce his name, so maybe on an episode if you have him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can figure that one out, right? <laughs> um, so I went and I realized there's a huge tech community meetup, but there's nothing in health tech in New York City at right. the time. There was literally no meetups on it. Um, so I created this New York healthcare technology meetup. Uh, and I think the third or the fourth meetup, this uh, guy, Dan Kogan, came to pitch his Health World Web uh, startup. It was probably one of the first social network slash doctor recommendation okay. companies. One man garage show. And after that meetup, he said, join me. And I said, no, you're a geek. I'm a geek. Uh, no, 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 you're not What's a geek. I that? did the math, right? No, <laughs> now geeks are sexy, right? Yeah, so, that's so much. And so we had a kind of a long discussion. I said, no, you need a biz dev person and you need to drive sales. And, you know, make a long story short, I joined. We actually at the time got Matthew Holt on advisory board, Esther Dyson. Wow. And a few others. And then uh, right probably about a year-ish into it, I got the CIO role for Metco to move to Amsterdam. So I kind of took one for the team. Well, actually, Dan took one for the team as we got acquired by okay. another company. Right. It was not a unicorn. I'm still working. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of brought me over to the other side of the pond. And it was a bit of kind of interesting because um, you know a lot of companies talk about entrepreneurial experience. Mm-hmm. I think one of their decisions points at the time because it was kind of a startup within the 60 billion gorilla. Is that how big it is? Uh, well, Metco at the time was about 60 billion in wow. revenue. We went through a bunch of joint venture announcements with Silesio. This was my first time working with a German company, uh, United Drug in UK, and that was kind of the portfolio. For me, it's always important to learn what not to do. Mm-hmm. I certainly learned how not to do joint ventures. <laughs> Um, and then um, we might dig into that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I you know we can probably sp- 
spent hours on that one. But, you know, I, I think after that, decided to leave after the Express Scripts uh, acquisition. Right. Uh, we loved, as a family, Amsterdam. It was just too short. I barely just convinced my wife and kids to move. And right. then I think a year and a half-ish into it, it was, it was dissolving yeah. and acquired. And yeah. Uh, so we decided to stay. I, uh, we took a big risk. I cracked open, uh, you know, another consulting company, well, a consulting company mm -hmm. uh, in Netherlands. And um, honestly, for the first three months, just did nothing but travel, speak right from, you know, the heart. Mm -hmm. um, and then things started coming in almost inbound. You know, started Health 2.0 chapter in Amsterdam. Sort of again, create. We created that ecosystem, and I say we because the lesson learned I had in New York. I needed volunteers. I couldn't do it myself. Yeah. So I think in the first meetup, I said, "Who wants to help?" And you know, a bunch of people kind of raised their hands, and kind of the ecosystem is there now. Yeah. Um, I can actually see how all of this adds up because I know Eugene is like Twitterati, you know, <laughs> it all just like starting, to, the pieces are starting to fall in place in my mind now. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And then obviously like you're, obvi you're a known name in healthcare and it's interesting how you've even come into it. Mm. It didn't, it's not so obvious, right? Like of, we have lots of people that we talk to who, who were doctors or um, they kind of just, you just could see the trajectory. Right, so no. it's, it's an interesting journey. But you know, it's interesting when I, I even got that Metco, um, you know, I saw the job and I said, well, you know, I know technology. And for me, all of a sudden, there was this light bulb that went on. I can actually leverage my skills in technology to help people, mm -hmm. right? Right. And that impact. And I cannot ever, ever, ever see myself going outside of the health industry. Mm -hmm. Like, right. I think it's the most impactful industry that you can be it yeah absolutely so, so health 2.0 new york grew to be one of the biggest chapters if not the biggest right and um yeah i mean i haven't been following the numbers but uh it's actually funny alex fair kind of said that he's the poor sucker um Who you know it always takes certain people to start things and others to scale things and mm -hmm. i think you yeah. need to be open to that as well both yeah. as an entrepreneur but mm -hmm. also in a big company right um, so I don't remember the numbers, but I want to say maybe a thousand people were members. But now, to your point, it's you know I I, mm. I, I haven't looked at the numbers. But but Alex, it's ten years. Ten years. He actually posted a picture the other day. Is that right? Of us in the room. I think Esther Dyson was there. A bunch mm. of others. Um, and we saw him. He was at our, our New York event. Uh, in, Alex, in, that's in, right. In yep. March and, and Esther. Yep. And now they're in Asia doing events in Japan and China. So yeah, yeah, yeah. gone all out. Let's talk about that transition because you know the PBM model is very different here to other countries right? yeah. it's kind of a U US phenomenal so when you were setting up the operations in Netherlands and working with these different you know Ger German companies and UK yeah. companies what was that like so it was for lack of a better term uh, it was definitely not a PBM like model mm -hmm. um, the goal there was to kind of miniaturize if you think about uh, what any PBM does is managing the drug spend, right? Um, analyzing the drug spend, putting formularies together. But part of that, the offering, and one of the first contracts that the team sold was into a sick fund in Germany, actually. And it was all around gaps in care. So aside from the you know RX, we were also looking at other health data. 
Um, I actually remember some of the challenges around kind of the data privacy and working with the SIG fund around unlocking pseudonyms. Um, right. You know, how do you actually get the patients and the consumers of the insurer? So some of the models were on inbound calls, you know, the way we set this up, we would not have personalized information. Right. We would just do the gap analysis on okay. the back end. So that was the model that we went in on spread wings with uh, some pharma companies uh, actually in the Netherlands on more kind of disease management and gaps in care. That was the model really in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, and why did they need that? I mean, well, the PBM thing is very, very <coughs> specific to the US. Yeah. And, and what I heard you say was that that kind of model didn't transfer really to Europe, but it changed. So what was your sense of what the needs were no. in, in Europe? Uh, so I think it's applying, and the way we kind of looked at it and the joint venture with Silesio at the time was that uh, as Metco, we had actually very good clinical expertise and drug-drug analysis uh, right. and, and the gaps in care analysis where Silesio had the reach and distribution, right? Um, okay. Part of that joint venture specifically was a contribution of two companies. One is Doc Morris, right, uh, and one was EAV Europa Apathic Venlo. Okay, uh, both were sitting on the Dutch border and doing actually. If you think about PBM, also yes, it's drug management, but it's also selling or sending prescriptions to people's homes. Mm-hmm. That market has changed significantly, right? We've seen CVS yeah. CareMark, yeah. etc. But at the time, that was the big bet um, for PBMs is people don't want to go into stores. Right, right. Um, so part of that contribution, again, was these smaller companies, and I you know, I think I'm way beyond my non-disclosure, but uh, <laughs> at this point, keep going, keep going. <laughs> but it was, you know, a couple of hundred million each in revenues. So I think that was part of the proposition uh, together, right. kind of pushing some of those, everything from legislations. I mean, there's unique laws in Germany where... Yeah, you can only. There's no chain pharmacies. You can only have four right. as a pharmacist. You oh, can only be, and uh, four. Four, I did not know that. four is the biggest chain you can have. Is oh, right? really? Interesting. Yeah. So that was, you know, there were um, a lot of, you know, a lot of things around it. Just again, kind of merging the organizations together. Um, yeah. And that's interesting, yeah. right? So that's kind of like preventing monopolization of one chain, yep. and so that way you're kind of controlling costs. Or cost escalation, I guess. And so from there, you just happened to go into Bayer, is it? Or no, so there was one step before when I decided to exit. We decided to stay exit exit. Metco. Right. Yes. Um, Work life. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know what to define work or life. It's kind of, which it's uh, Mar- Marina, my wife, is always like, no, you have to. And I'm like, well, it's all life. Um, but uh, th- there was an extra step in there for a couple of years. So I think about 18 months, uh, I, I opened up uh, Initian Consulting Group. Uh, so it was just me with a number of consultants that were pulled together. We did some stuff with Lloyd's Pharma, a number of more mature startups that wanted to, for example, go from Netherlands to US or vice versa. Right. And it just kind of started growing. And, um, you know, I do believe in serendipity. I happened to check in with an ex-Medco guy who unfortunately had cancer, but knock on wood was great, all good. I just happened to call him, right, uh, and say, how are you doing? And he said, actually, doing great, but a friend of mine is at this software outsourcing company, and they're looking for somebody, get this, somebody who is from Eastern Europe and ideally speaks either Ukrainian or Russian, (laughs) who knows about U.S. healthcare system and who lives in Western Europe. So tick, 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 right? Um, The 
the company flew me out to New York. I met with then my boss at the time, meaning to become boss. Mm-hmm. Um, then they flew me to Kiev. I met with the CEO. And this was at the time when, I mean, obviously, there's still outsourcing wars going on. Make a long story short, we basically cut a deal where they bought the pipeline. They bought, you know, there was no assets, right? Okay. So uh, to a certain extent, it was an acquihire, <laughs> but with uh, with a pipeline in there. Okay. Uh, and, you know, the, the reason for it for me was actually pretty interesting because I would go into a lot of these companies and say, you know, here's the pretty slides. Here's what you can do, but let's actually do it. Let's build these products, right? right. Let's, let's work together. And I think their goal was to get more in the boardroom mm-hmm. uh, discussion. Discussions. Um, interestingly enough, I I just met when I was in Kiev with one of my ex colleagues, and some of those deals that we brought in, and I don't want to mention the names here. Um, you know, from a two three million deal, they're now at forty million with that company, right? Okay. So it does take time and expertise, and we actually even at the time invested into certain frameworks because, in a way, outsourcers are competing to a certain extent with startups. And now I'm on the other side. So, yeah. um, meaning being in a big company where outsourcers are pitching me uh, every day. <laughs> right. And I have a very different hypothesis now. But so it was an interesting journey. They bought the company. I stayed with them for about two years ish. Um, through that process, I actually met and I kind of describe it as uh, one dark night in Berlin. <laughs> um, I went to this health IT meetup. This is when I had still my ICG thing going, the okay. initial consulting group. And um, I met this crazy guy, Jesus Daval, who started grants for apps, literally grants, right. literally for apps. Um, I met him in 2013 when it was just literally grants and the accelerator was being set up. Okay. So I met the whole team. Again, you know, kudos and huge credit to Jesus kind of seeing this through the weeds that, you know, buyer needs to get involved. Mm-hmm. And what attracted me to that model is at the time, a lot of Pharma companies were given a quarter of a million to this accelerator, half a million here. Right. And for me, I was kind of the aha moment of putting that inside the headquarters in Berlin for pharma mm-hmm. and that mindset uh, exchange, mm-hmm. right? That was key. Uh, so through that, while I was still a soft surf, et cetera, I went to pretty much all the demo days, kickoff days, name it. Um, Supported the team with a lot of introductions with, to startups elsewhere. And, uh, of course, you know you know how things go. I met a lot of the executives. Uh, and one of those discussions were, do you know anybody? Um, <laughs> and my payout at software is coming to an end, um, meaning I hit, I hit the, the payout timelines. Uh, so I decided to join. To be honest, there was no real mandate. One of the things that were in discussion, this is uh, the current uh, CEO, Werner, in end of 2015, said, we need digital health incubation, right? right. right. Um, and, and Grants for Apps was running at that time, was it? The Grants for Apps was already Jesus running. Was running yeah, yeah. And as you say, that's a very different proposition to writing a check, to actually saying, I'm going to run it in the headquarters, I'm going to bring yep. all these crazy entrepreneurs together with these skeptical yep. scientists and, and yep. really try to... Get the two of them working together, so yep. that's so that was fundamentally a different thing. But the, at a strategic level, it was still kind of let's it, try and figure this out. Yeah, let's try to figure this out. You know, and I think part of this, where you know, I started describing this as an Oreo cookie a bit. You know, there's every company. Yeah, explain. Have, yes, I will. Non-Americans will have to explain what that means. <laughs> um, you know, every company, uh, actually, no matter what industry, has these passionate individuals, it's the bottoms up layer. So think about that Oreo cookie, right? That's the hard layer in the bottom. Mm -hmm. 
Um, these are rebels with a cause, not without one, that want to change things, that want to move forward, mm-hmm. want to evolve within the company and the company itself. But you always need a top layer as well, mm-hmm. right? You always need that top layer, the hard layer. And that's why the reason I call it the Oreo cookie, because then in the middle, all that mushy, great stuff actually happens, right? <laughs> um, and so the mess. <laughs> It's 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 controlled mess, right? Because if you kind of eat it right, uh, you know, it won't. It's not dripping anywhere, that's right? right? So, um, okay. so that's that's a little bit of. Uh, and and if uh, when I was kind of coming in, the original role was purely for this digital health incubator. And um, you know, after probably one call, I realized it's a. It's not really an incubator. This was very much a top-down political process, which is different than a top-down mandate and support. Well, which what, do I, mean, what do you mean by that? Uh, so this was more typical. Here's the consultants that came in. This is the 30 different areas that will disrupt you and pharma. Mm-hmm. You know, you pick six on the wall and you assign some resources to program manage, right? Okay. Um, these behemoth projects. To me, that's not incubation. So as part of that, I kind of proposed to say, look, I, I already know the Grants for Apps team. They've been sort of spearheading these digital health startups. And just for, for our listeners, maybe just talk a little bit about how what Grants for Apps is yeah. and kind of where, where it's active right now. Yeah, so maybe I will actually contradict you. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I want to look back on a little bit more history on this okay. just because uh, it, it is important to kind of this, the, the story and the actions. There was the Grants for Apps team. Uh, we also had this now newly spun up digital health incubator, which again, as I mentioned, was not an incubator. We had a digital accelerator in Leverkusen. So mm. think about what can you actually accelerate in Leverkusen. <laughs> yeah, um, where is that anyway? Hmm? Where is? I'll show you on the map later. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's actually right next to Cologne and Dusseldorf. Oh, okay. So we're kind of. And that's where the uh, buyer headquarters is. Um, we had a life science iHub on the West Coast. Uh, so Dirk Chapelar started that three yeah. years ago or so, mm-hmm. uh, which was one of the first outposts as well mm-hmm. uh, for big corporates, especially in EU and in, in San Francisco or Silicon Valley. We had the strategy and portfolio team. And honestly, for the first year, I was really... Where we are now, which I'll explain, uh, I actually have a mind map before I started Buyer, and we've achieved the mind map now. Mm. Oh, wow. But it took, yeah, I'm actually showing to Susanna and Javier on my team and others because it was, you know, persistence, 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 yeah. right? But part of this was to make sense, if you think about it, these are all individual brands, passion individuals that wanted to set this up, very bottoms up. And my proposal to Buyer was, how do we make sense out of it? Yeah. Uh, year one was honestly more incremental changes. Uh, remember, I come from generally the PBM industry, which is mm-hmm. one business model, one very centrally yep. decided where we move. For me, year one was who actually makes the decisions? Is it divisions, functions, brands, categories, TAs, um, getting to know my own team and my own people, um, some incremental changes. um, And then, you know, fast forward, and this is where I'll describe where we are now. We've sort of united under G4A and uh, kind of joke around that we've rebranded. The logo looks different, but it's rebranding without having the budget to rebrand. <laughs> so uh, we're desperately trying to kind of, I'll call it get rid of it, and not because of the legacy of it, but it's really no longer about grants or apps. Right. Um, 
And so we've um, really, for us, 2018 was a pivotal year where we kind of came truly under this G4A umbrella. And we basically set this up in three pillars, but I kind of describe it as four capabilities. So one is this early stage accelerator that started in Berlin. Okay. Uh, over the number of years, which was already happening, um, that model got very franchised uh, around the world. And these are, again, passionate individuals around the world say, hey, it's not just for the selfies, but you guys are doing cool stuff. How do right. we get involved? So this is a program <clears throat> that incubates uh, startups and, and Bayer invest in these companies and then try to do different types of partnerships. <clears throat> Correct. And, th- and what you're saying then is that you then that started in Berlin, but other countries put up their hands and said, I want to do this in Korea or yep. Russia or whatever. Yep. And, and you were telling me yesterday that it's many different geographies where these passionate local folks have said, hey, I want to want to do this. And then yep. the center is kind of the franchise to make sure here's the guidelines. But yep. kind of and, and even on the guidelines, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because people kind of say, you know, so how do we get involved, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll give you guys a very close to my original home example, uh, Ukraine, right? Somebody reached out from there, how do we get involved? And I said, honestly, all it takes is 50 beers, a room, and a topic just to get people <laughs> out, right? And um, this person in Ukraine doesn't have to belong to the Bayer franchise to run grants for apps? Is that how it works? No. So what I mean by franchise within Bayer, okay, right? Okay. So it is, uh, we have the STEM for Health meetups uh, in over 30 countries, mm-hmm. 40 cities. And right. these are all passionate Bayer individuals. Right. And so with that, uh, again, you know, Kiev, we had two huge successful and not realizing how big is the ecosystem in that place, right? The other model is you have a space, do a co-working space, right? Just kind of work together. Yeah. So that's, for example, in Warsaw, right? Okay. So I have a couple of questions. One is, what are some of the most innovative companies you've seen come through Grants for Apps? And obviously, they're not only apps. We've established that already. And what happens to a lot of them, right? I'm sure they're all not success stories. And once they go through Grants for Apps, what's at the end? Yep. And and this is where... um you know, we we have uh, what Marty said. It's this early stage. We had these uh, what was called ghost shares for a number of years. It's kind of a more German known and contract. Last year, we put together an actual convertible note that's understood around the world. And uh, you guys can ask the startups from last year, but the goal was to be the most friendly startup convertible note out there. Okay. Um, so I hope we accomplished that. At least that was the feedback. Mm-hmm. To your point, so we give 50K. We do not set the valuation. Okay. Meaning if they raise the next round, if we decide to convert, we convert it whatever the market valuation is. Because for me, 50K is not enough to start setting valuations. Of course. Right? So what's been happening is we, honestly, there's a lot of companies. So 24 at this point went through the Berlin Accelerator with either the ghost shares or the convertible note. We've done some commercial deals. So for example, there's a Hungarian company, uh, Turbine AI. Um, they work in a compound therapies yeah. uh, for oncology. And it took us probably over a year to kind of work with our research and bioinformaticians until there was this click and proof points. Okay. And, and now they're working with them constantly. But again, all of these are in commercial relationships. Yeah. Uh, what I personally realized over the number of years that the G4A was running as an accelerator, 
a lot of the companies were brought in closer and closer and closer to the core business. So in 2017, the team decided to launch this dealmaker concept, okay. which no investment. This is where we're very transparent about what the challenges are. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to a certain extent, the first year was just purely matchmaking, right? So, you know, give us your challenges, put that out there, we source it, we connect and we go away. Okay. So, and actually what's been happening also, there's a companies that went through G4A programs around the world, right. all of a sudden started making in the top 20, not necessarily getting the deal, right? right? But um, it kind of shows this model of grow them, let them focus locally. Mm-hmm. As they mature, right. right, can we actually utilize them across the world? So, you know, Turbine is an example. One of my favorites from last year, and honestly, I love all the entrepreneurs through the programs, mm-hmm. and a um, company called Canaptic, it's an uh, electroceutical, uh, so it sends uh, kind of nerve signals to okay. your nerves. Um, and think about a stroke patient, you know, and rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. I actually tried it, and, and once it's sending the nerve, you cannot not stretch so your hand. Stimulates it. Uh, part of that also, they have a VR set where you can see your hand. So the hypothesis, and it's not clinically validated, and okay. that's the you know it, it, the early stage, process. right? Yeah. In the process, the hypothesis is that because you're seeing it and the neural pathways, and you're doing muscle memory training, right? Interesting. So can it actually you know help? patients rehabilitate better than the typical physical therapy. Okay. And so think about today where we have an existing asset like Xarelto, right, that's supposed to prevent stroke. Right. If there's not adherence or things happen and God forbid, you know, the patient does have a stroke, can we still help that patient, right? Yeah. Can we still have that patient much better, quicker, et cetera, yeah. with better outcomes? Yeah. Early on, but that was a little bit of the point where I think the minds in the organization are starting to think that way right? outside of kind of existing assets. So I guess that brings me to what everybody wants to understand. So let's say you're absorbing some of these interesting innovations into your main franchise. So is pharma now viewing digital health as one of your core franchises along with, say, your generics and, a, and your biologics business? No. Um, you know, the, the jury is still out, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think part of this, there's definitely, I've seen tremendous change, I would say, even in the last six months. Okay. You know, we have uh, Stefan Ulrich, who just joined us as the CEO last November of Pharma. Okay. We as a team love what he's saying. It's drug plus but it's yeah. also plus drug, but it could be just plus, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is very different, uh, I think, to what I think the industry is just generally. I mean, we're exploring all as an industry, you know, mm-hmm. digital therapeutics, I've been saying, kind of is the shining light yes. in this convoluted digital health space. Absolutely. Um, and ultimately, it is where what are the patient unmet needs, Right. And uh, yes, in certain cases, it's molecule, but tomorrow it may be a combination of molecule plus, mm-hmm. or it could be just a plus. And I've been using so whatever solves the problem. That's what we need to bring out. Yep. Okay. The, the question, I think, for the whole industry is, um, you know, the margins that are there today, are those the margins that will continue with digital therapies? Right? Do you think so? I, it's how, the would question. You, how would you measure it's the that? Question. I, I, you know, I. Personally, I think it's uh, if you look at kind of the digital therapies, and let's just put molecules just for a second to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you almost need an R&D for digital therapies. Exactly, which the doesn't really exist. It, it, I have not seen, and I'll give you guys an example where, um, you know, today we're working with our consumer business on this, but to finish off kind of the pillars, we, we have a G4A Ventures, which we also launched last year. And under the premise that a corporation is executing on an existing and known business model will mm-hmm. never become a startup, which is trying to discover a business model. Right. Now, so with ventures, the premise is this is a team of intra and entrepreneurs. Yeah. Plus, we take people from the division uh, on the commercial side, IND side. And this was our first try to sort of start generating new revenue streams okay. that meet an unmet need but also fits into the strategic purview. And the only thing I can say with that, it's in, nutri- in the nutritional space, okay. uh, where we want to understand the behavior. So this whole process is anchored into behavioral science. Yes, It starts actually with that, and it's not about a technical solution push. Uh, it's really understanding, and it goes through very much almost like a startup where we have a venture board, you know, we seeded the investment, we went through in November, we got uh, kind of, uh, through the gate to go into phase one incubation. Okay. So we got some more money. We're actually presenting April 25th uh, for a much bigger chunk of money. Mm-hmm. Um, if that succeeds, great. It goes back. If not, we continue this engine, right? Yeah. So this was the premise a bit of start generating these models. And, you know, the question always becomes, and this is we're discussing this within the team, in this case, we're incubating because we honestly could not find a product like it okay. out there. I think when we work closer, I'd say, with the pharma division and where a lot of those things are, that's the beauty of the USP. We're working with a lot of these startups. We're seeing it. And at the end of that first three months, it's a decision, buy versus build, right? And to me, I actually don't see that we would build as a company almost anything in this, Mm -hmm. right? And those are the tough discussions that will start happening when we get there. Yeah. You know, what do we do with these startups? Because today we invest 50K, great, right? Yeah, it's great for them. We help them. (laughs) And then whether it's a competitor or not, somebody takes the product, co-markets it, whatever, right? But yeah, I think just, I mean, like you said, we don't have all the answers, right? Like how do you quantitatively measure behavior change and put an amount next to it and say, this is how much this costs or this is how much it's saving us. And I know we're all starting to have those conversations, but just with the way digital health is, and I guess it's fairly new. I'm not sure that we're there yet, but you can obviously... It's a great point. I mean, we were at the Partners uh, Innovation Forum this week and you had the Secretary of HSS saying they couldn't figure out how much procedures cost for their relatives, you know, relatively simple procedures. Yeah. Uh, and the, the secretary of the HSS couldn't. So there's so so much, um, you know, such a lack of transparency mm-hmm. transparency around cost and price in the industry. So much pressure on cost. I mean, coming back to your point, Eugene, you know, the margins in digital, you know, they're not going to be the same as the margins in molecules, right? And I guess we don't know because we, don't know. we haven't set mm. any of these um, yet. But we know that there's the, the the costs are just going in the wrong direction, and there's a huge political push to reduce the cost of healthcare, to re- reduce the cost of medicines already. So, and, and every industry that technologies comes into, it it should reduce costs. I mean, that's so it creates a whole dyna- dilemma then for the pharma industry to say, well. 
do we continue to go with a lower margin product and, and try to own that? Yeah, and I, I think overall, and I've kind of been saying this too, the whole health and care ecosystem is turning literally 360 degrees, right? You've got insurers that are either investing right. in telemedicine, aka somewhat primary care. Mm-hmm. you got hospital systems, yeah. right? Forming nonprofits to gen- create generic drugs. Right. Um, you got, uh, you know, the health and wellness companies. If you look at Fitbit, have yeah. pharma propositions yeah, now, right, life right, sciences. Right. So everything's up in the air. Everything is up in the air. Yeah. And what I've been saying both internally and externally, the organizations that will succeed and prevail are the ones that can learn the quickest and make yes. changes the quickest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the most important part, actually bring outcomes and value to us as the patients and consumers. I I, it, it's the combo. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think we have to wrap up on that note. Eugene, <coughs> I have to ask you this question that we ask every guest who comes on our show. If you were not Eugene working as global health of uh, global head of digital health in uh, Bayer, what would you be doing? Um, so, you know, personal passion, uh, my wife went through breast cancer and hacked her oh, way no. through her body and recovery outside wow. of the medical system and became a health coach. And one of the things she realized is that um, it's not just the medicine, mm-hmm. it's the mind, body, soul. Of course. Um, and so if I'm not you know, taking the bear hat off um, <laughs> just for a second, I would actually join her on the journey of building this health coaching platform. And her mission is to enable 9 billion people when, when it is 9 billion people of the world, of the world right. um, is to have access to health coaches uh, yeah. and reimbursable and actually with outcomes because today a lot of these health coaching are not being reimbursed. It's out of pocket, but that mind, body and soul is much needed. Absolutely. Well, that's great. Um, well, I hope she accomplishes our mission, her mission, with or without you. That, right? She doesn't need me, but <laughs> exactly. you asked me if, if, if I wasn't <laughs> you, there. The, then. <laughs> you aspire to join her or you yes. desire to join yes. her. Well, thank you so much, Eugene. I know we probably have so much more to talk about. We should probably bring Eugene back in uh, many episodes time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to continue the conversation. Part two, yeah. Uh, it's been great having you, Eugene. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. As Thanks, always. Eugene. Yep. Thanks. <laughs>